Welcome to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday morning news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Teresa, and I am here with my co-host, Emily Scott, and Jasmine. I just forgot your name. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing, ladies? Good. How are you? I'm doing okay. okay. Sorry about that. Just drew a blank, Jasmine. Smith, that's her last name. There we go. I have anxiety, so I, I do that all the time, Teresa. I, I let my friends introduce themselves to each other because I'm always afraid I'll, I'll blank on their names. Yeah, thanks. I have a headache, so I'm a little bit off this oh, today. But nonetheless, no. we're gonna, we're just going to have a great episode. I missed you guys when I was away last week. Yeah, we missed you too. Yeah, yeah happy Colorado belated birthday. Thank you. Thank you. It was really fun. I got to go to Rocky Mountain National Park and I took a hike and frolicked by a lake. It was good times. It was good times. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to kick off today's episode with our local segment. Jasmine has a special interview. Jasmine, why don't you take it away? Hi. So um, this is actually, I think, the first interview I've ever done on this show. And we have a guest uh, this afternoon. Her name is Lee Zishi. And she's going to be talking to us about a North Brooklyn pipeline that is coming our way pretty soon. Um, So, Lee, would you mind um, just telling us a little bit about yourself, like describe your work and how long you've been doing it? Yeah, sure. And thanks so much um, for having me. Um, Yeah, so I work for an organization called Sane Energy Project. Um, We're a very small uh, nonprofit, um, and I've been working with SANE for about three years, but um, for the last seven years, I've been doing different work on and off around uh, stopping fracking um, and also stopping fracked gas infrastructure. You know, a lot of people have heard about the drilling process, um, but don't realize there's things like this pipeline um, that's being built right now in North Brooklyn um, happening. Um, so our work is to to stop these projects, um, work with local communities um, and, and center local communities in this fight. Um, but then also build uh, the alternative to these things. And as we transition to renewables, um, we work to try to make sure that that uh, renewable energy is not just, you know, being produced by renewable sources, um, but is democratically owned by the communities. Uh, So that's what SANE Energy is all about. Um, We've been working with a coalition called the No North Brooklyn Pipeline Coalition to uh, stop this pipeline. Okay, thanks for that. Um, Could you explain for our listeners just in layman's terms, I'm sorry if this is a little 101, but why, what exactly is fracking and why is it a problem? Yeah, no problem. I am such an energy nerd, so I'm always happy to, uh, you know, back it up. So fracking is this process. Um, There is gas that is trapped in these formations of rock, this shale rock. And fracking drills down into the rock, blasts it open um, through high pressure and a slurry of chemicals in the water. And it's a problem for a lot of reasons. One, um, this actual process of fracking has contaminated groundwater. It also creates a lot of air pollution um, for people who are living next to these fracking wells. Um, And then also it's a problem for the climate. Uh, The fossil fuel industry has created this big lie that um, gas is somehow clean. You know, they call it natural gas and it's a bridge fuel. Like I'm putting that into air quotes right now. 
in between, say, coal and renewable energy. But it's it's still a fossil fuel, and it still um, lets off a lot of carbon dioxide when it's burned. But also, in of itself, it's a very very powerful um, greenhouse gas. So people talk about you know carbon dioxide a lot, but natural gas is mostly methane, which is actually even stronger of a greenhouse gas. Um, for the first twenty years, it's in the atmosphere. So you know, fracking is a problem for local communities um, that are being fracked in Pennsylvania and all around the country, um, but also to us globally um, as it relates to climate change. Okay, and are there, um, have can you think of any examples of where like the actual, like are there explosions or fires or things that have happened related to like the actual drilling and pipeline creation? There's definitely been a lot of, I mean, there have been some incidents actually on the well pads, but definitely a lot of um, pipelines explosions. Um, And, you know, since there's been this big boom of fracking in places like Pennsylvania, um, here in New York, we actually banned it um, because of the threats to, you know, our water and all those different um, things I just listed before. Um, But in places like Pennsylvania, where they are still fracking, there's been this big rush to get all the gas out of Pennsylvania. Um, And so what's been proposed is this just nasty web of pipelines um, and compressor stations. And, you know, they see us as a market for that kind of gas. And we have seen actually a lot of explosions when it comes to these pipelines. There was one um, in Western Pennsylvania, not far from where I'm from, and it was in service less than a week um, before it exploded. Um, So we yeah, so we, we do see a lot of explosions, especially on some of these newer, bigger pipelines. Um, you know, these are what where we typically see explosions are these interstate transmission pipelines, you know, these really big ones that get the gas from Pennsylvania to other places. Um, but there are, you know, smaller explosions that have happened um, within cities, within, you know, smaller distribution lines. Um, there was a massive explosion in San Bruno, California. Um, we also saw um, a suburb in Massachusetts, um, where their distribution system um, got overpressurized, and there was all these explosions and fires, and and a young 18-year-old was killed. Um, You know, so we do have concerns about what's being built here locally as well, even though there's a less of a chance of explosion than, say, those bigger interstate pipelines. Okay, and can you um, talk a little bit more, or not a little bit, that's the main point of the local story, about the background of this particular project that's happening in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I'm glad we got to talk a little bit, you know, about the source of this gas and and how it affects people beyond us. Um, But but definitely, you know, this is a Brooklyn radio show. So what's happening here in Brooklyn is um, National Grid has been building a uh, pipeline. They call it the Metropolitan Reliability Infrastructure Project, um, but we've been calling it the North Brooklyn Pipeline. And what it does is it pretty much builds this major, um, like a very big transmission pipeline, smaller than those big interstate ones I was talking about, but bigger than the ones that come, you know, right down most of our streets and into our homes. Um, And they're trying to build this pipeline from Brownsville to Greenpoint. They originally proposed it because they wanted to bring more gas into New York City um, through another big pipeline called the Williams Pipeline, which we beat this year, actually. New York State denied it for good. Um, But originally, National Grid wanted to build this North Brooklyn pipeline to bring more gas into their system. 
Um, but now that the pipeline has been stopped, this bigger pipeline, they're claiming that they need this pipeline to keep up pressure in Southeast Queens. Um, there's a lot of reasons we think that might not be true. Um, National Grid hasn't very been forthcoming with a lot of information about their gas supply. Um, but people really didn't know about this pipeline. And once construction started um, in Bushwick of this year, um, me and my coworker, Kim, um, who actually lives very close to the pipeline site, um, found out that this pipeline was being built. Okay, I'm, um, so, I'm, and, I'm sorry to stop, but at what point this year? You said it's in Bushwick. Sorry. What month? Or? Yeah, so that it, it was discovered last year. Sorry, November okay. of 2019 of last year. Okay. Um, and that's when we discovered that there was construction happening in Bushwick. Um, so pretty much the pipeline, it, it starts down in Brownsville. It goes through Bedsty, um, Bushwick, and that's the parts that they've already been building, and they're almost done with that. And then there's a fifth phase that would be in Greenpoint that would connect it to this big liquefied natural gas depot um, that National Grid has. So um, we've been... Once people found out about this pipeline, they've really been opposing it, and they've been doing that in a couple different ways. Um, there's this really complicated regulatory process um, that actually really affects us all very much on a daily basis. Um, National Grid, in order to build this pipeline, they actually have to raise our monthly bills if they want to, to pay for it. And that's approved through um, New York State, through the Department of Public Service um, and the Public Service Commission. So we've been um, kind of doing this in the weeds regulatory process, trying to get um, New York State to say no, like don't raise our rates to pay for this fracked gas pipeline. Um, and then we've also been asking for Mayor de Blasio in New York City to pull any construction permits, um, you know, because the community has been very opposed uh, to this pipeline. You know, pretty much all the communities that it goes to, goes through, um, down from bed from Brownsville to Greenpoint, have a history of environmental pollution, um, whether that's from the Greenpoint uh, oil spill and the contamination of Newtown Creek. Um, also, a lot of these communities have been poisoned by um, waste um, trucks going through. Uh, the, you know, Brownsville has some of the highest rates of asthma. You know, these communities are also very cut through by highways like the BQE. Um, so they don't want more fossil fuel infrastructure to be, be built in um, their communities. Right. And also people, you know, understand that we should not be investing in fossil fuels in 2020. You know, California and the West is burning. You know, the people in the South Gulf have been pummeled again and again by hurricanes. To be investing this much money, they're asking for a $185 million rate hike just for this pipeline alone. It's just kind of crazy. You know, people want renewable energy. So we've been, been trying to stop it in this regulatory process, um, but National Grid just keeps building. And um, Pretty soon, if they finish phase one through four, which is from Brownsville kind of up until like Williamsburg, um, they will be able to start running gas through this very soon. Um, and so that's what we've been trying to stop. And there's been amazing, you know, community outreach and support. You know, um, it's, it's I think it's, it's a very difficult thing. You know, a lot of people see construction happening in, in our communities all the time. And you don't recognize what it is. So a lot of people, you know, saw construction happening and had no idea that it was this this massive pipeline um, being built. Okay. And when you say, thanks for that um, background. And when you say that um, people in the community have been fighting back against, you know, trying to use like the regulatory measures 
Can you describe like what are some of the specific actions they've taken? Like what form does the um, protest against this take? Yeah, so in this regulatory process, in this this rate case proceeding um, where New York has to decide whether or not National Grid gets to raise rates um, in order to pay for the pipeline, people have submitted thousands of public comments. Um, and if you go to the No North Brooklyn Pipeline Coalition's website, nonbapipeline.org, you can actually submit a comment really easy. Um, but people have been submitting thousands of comments with why they don't want to um, see their bills go up to pay for this pipeline. Um, this was a tactic that was used um, in the fight to ban fracking in New York. You know, New Yorkers submitted actually tens of thousands of public comments um, against fracking, you know, very much based in fact and science. Um, so we've been building up this public record. Um, we also have a petition to Mayor de Blasio. I think it has about 11,000 petition signatures right now um, calling on the mayor to pool any permits, any construction permits, and immediately halt construction of this pipeline. And then there, um, there actually was a, a shutdown of construction in February before, you know, COVID really ravaged New York. Um, a group of 10 people actually put their bodies on the line, walked onto construction site and halted construction for a few hours. Um, we were also having, you know, pretty regular rallies every Saturday uh, before COVID hit. And, and so a lot of that, you know, obviously stopped for a little bit. Um, any of our in-person gatherings and a lot of the community groups that have been involved in this fight had to switch to things like, you know, mutual aid and making sure that their communities were taken care of. Um, but we've started in-person rallies again. We had a huge rally in Brownsville. Uh, I think it was like two weeks ago. It was led by a lot of local Brownsville residents. Um, and we had this big rally with um, Assemblywoman Latrice Walker and the Brooklyn Borough President. And then we marched to the pipeline site um, where they're still doing construction right now in Brownsville, you know, against the wishes of the community. Um, so yeah, there's just been a lot of a lot of outreach, a lot of flyering. Um, but also, you know, the pipeline construction is just moving very, very fast. Um, so as much as we've been able to do outreach and it's, it's growing very quickly because I think a lot of these communities, you know, they've been poisoned before. So it doesn't take that much to get them on board. You know, they, they really understand the importance of fighting to protect for the health of our communities. Right. Um, and it's, it's great but, that yeah. the people that are actually living there are the ones that are at the forefront because you, you don't necessarily want people from the outside being the voice. But they, we've talked on this show a lot about like environmental racism and how certain demographics, it always seems to be okay to just sort of do whatever the powers that be decide without taking into consideration or really caring how it's going to impact the individuals living there. Um, so I think in, when you reached out to us, you said that there, it looks like this is happening very quickly and that they might finish relatively soon. Like, what would you suggest that our listeners can do, like, to show support or to try to put some weight behind getting this to stop? Yeah, I think um, submitting a comment in this in this um, proceeding is very important, especially, you know, if you are a national grid, you know, rate payer, like, I, I have, you know, I pay a national grid bill and the thought of 
having to send more money to them uh, to build this pipeline. Um, exactly as you mentioned, it, it, it goes through predominantly black and brown communities who were never consulted, who have a history of being dumped on. The fossil fuel industry is very extractive um, and you know harmful to local communities. And then also we really need to pressure the mayor as well. Um, you know, he can pull the permits right now and 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 stop construction. Um, but, you know, we, we need a lot of help getting the word out. Um, so anything you can do, we have a really great Instagram that has a lot of amazing images you can share or in videos from the, the local community. Um, we're also on, you know, Twitter as well, things that you can share. Um, if you go to the NoNBK Pipeline website, again, that's NoNBKPipeline.org. Um, there's a number that you can call Governor Cuomo. Um, but I think it's just so important for us all to realize, you know, this thing that we we all pay, you know, our utility bills every month, or, or, or a lot of us do. Sometimes it's included in rent, but most of us are paying utility bills every month. So I think the most important thing is just to recognize that this is actually a, an incredible source of power that we can take back, right? You know, right now we're sending our money to a big corporate utility like National Grid, who's who's using it to do things that we don't want, put pipelines in our neighborhoods. Um, but there's also a really great campaign being led um, by the um, New York City DSA Ecosocial Socialist, um, Sane Energy, the group I work for is also involved in this campaign um, to actually pass public power bills um, and take away the corporate utilities and have um, our energy be owned by our communities. So I think that's, you know, just to get people to start thinking more about the energy and the gas that's coming into your house. You know, fracking was brought up a lot in the debates recently. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important for people to realize where that fracking is happening. It's happening in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, that's that's gas coming into our homes. So uh, we, do, we have a lot of power here, I think. And I think it's time we take it back. Okay. Can you plug for us what is the Instagram um, handle that people can follow? Yeah, I think it's just no NBK pipeline. I can try to pull it up real quick. I should know that, but um, no, yeah, no NBK pipeline. Okay, and I guess on the website they probably have more links to like other social media. Yeah, we accounts. have links. Yeah, and all the places to comment, to sign the petition, um, and if you want to get more involved in another way, you can do that too. Okay. All right. Well, thank you a lot, um, Lee Zishi. And you also, we spoke briefly before this interview, but you're also working on a feature length documentary. Yeah, I am. It's called um, Thunderdome USA. And I actually, I worked for the um, election campaign in 2012 to reelect President Obama in, in Pennsylvania. Um, and the documentary is kind of about me and my sister going back there to understand some of our disappointments in Obama, you know, like his support of fracking, um, but more to understand the grassroots movement that um, elected him. And, you know, that county ended up going two to one for Trump, um, you know, after actually being kind of a, a little bit closer um, for Obama. And, you know, it kind of explores what it's like to be organizing on a local level um, while the presidential, you know, this kind of um, insane environment that's created um, this time of year that we're once again seeing. Um, and just kind of the ways that I think what we're seeing also in this local fight here in North Brooklyn, you know, like how important it is to build local power and do local organizing um, and not get swept up sometimes in that, you know, very fierce, like two party fighting horse race journalism that happens uh, this time of year.
Right, absolutely. Like you brought up a good point about how all these things are so interconnected. Like I, I think a lot of people would think if they're not super informed, like, oh, like fr- fracking is banned in this place, good, but they they don't necessarily realize that, well, yeah, but if they're still fracking in another place, that's still affecting your community if they're bringing it in from out of state. So, yeah, like, you're absolutely right. Like, local, building grassroots local power is important. If enough people do it, it can make a difference. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're seeing that in North Brooklyn. We've seen that in a lot of different fights to stop infrastructure across the state. And we, we saw that here in New York. You know, that's why we, we beat fracking. Governor Cuomo will try to take credit for it. But that was absolutely, you know, a people powered grassroots victory. Yeah, absolutely. So before we let you go, just one more time, if you want to tell us like where people can find your work and also information on um, the pipeline and other things, just the websites, handles, whatever, just so that we're absolutely clear. Yeah, so if you want to get involved in the fight to stop the North Brooklyn Pipeline, um, go to nonbkpipeline.org. If you want to get bigger involved in the larger fight to fight fracking, um, saneenergyproject.org. And uh, right now, Thunderdome USA, which is my documentary, only has a Facebook page. Um, But I guess you could follow follow my personal Instagram handle, which is Lee Fishy with a Z. And thank you so much for having me and, and getting this important issue that's going to affect so many Brooklyners um, out there. I, I really appreciate what you all are doing. Oh, well, thank you for taking the time to reach out and to speak with us. And uh, we'll be sure to put those links up on our Facebook page and also shout you out in our episode description when this goes up later on this week. So thanks so much, Lee. Have a good rest of your Friday. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thank you, Lee. Bye. Bye. Thank you for being on the show. All right. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for bringing us that story. That was really interesting and definitely some information I was not aware of. So definitely a good one for our listeners today. We'll take our first music break. We have a nice mix of music for you. The first track today comes from Vex O featuring 89 Fly. Here is Captain Anda. Stay tuned. Me not lie, me not lie. Got lost in her eyes. Found something I like, yeah. Weren't even my type. Me not lie, me not lie. We had drinks all night. Put my phone on silent, and I don't know why. No, I couldn't leave her. Should've said by Felicia. Must've been the tequila. I wish you had amnesia. Come, come, what I did can't be undone. Kiss and chase, baby, run, run. Don't give my love to no one. Bad belly when she gets. You go try, try, she not forget. No, no forgiveness. So I, I, to the left, to the left. Wanna take a real life reset. She said I don't mean no effect, oh, ha, ha, ha. And I say no effect, no effect, no don't vex so, my baby don't vex so, my baby don't vex so, 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 don't vex
take it back to that back of that dance club. Handsome, always call me handsome, then I hand rub, throw tantrums. If you leave me, that's it. Lord, no lie when I write on that beat. I just try to supply. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule, your Sunday morning news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. So today we have an extended local news segment uh, with some news that's uh, centering around Radio Free Brooklyn. Emily, why don't you bring us some updates to that story? Absolutely, Teresa. Thank you. So, yeah, a quick um, revisiting of the Wall of Lies project that Jasmine talked about last uh, weekend. So Radio Free Brooklyn, like last weekend, uh, Jasmine discussed how Radio Free Brooklyn created a 500 square foot public art exhibit displaying all 20,000 plus false statements made by our commander in chief while in office. Um, And it was documented and fact checked by the Washington Post. So last weekend, there was uh, an outdoor event with some live programming centered around the wall. And Senator Chuck Schumer even stopped by and he posted about it on his Facebook. So uh, it was a pretty cool day for the station for sure. Um, And I think they were they decided to extend its um, it being there for a little bit. I think I saw somewhere. And then on Wednesday night, it was actually vandalized uh, with pro-Trump Proud Boys graffiti said vote Trump or die and stand back and stand by, um, you know, phrases, a phrase that the president um, said at the first debate, if anyone who's listening remembers. Um, How can so we that's forget? Pretty, I know. Super fucked up. Um, so RFB thinks the project is too important to just throw away. So uh, a GoFundMe campaign's actually been started to help restore it and rehome the wall. Uh, if you'd like to support the campaign, you can find it on GoFundMe.com under the name RFB's Wall of Lies Emergency Restoration Fund. Um, but yeah, just letting you know that there's a lot of hate out there. Uh, it's pretty wild. They're among us, right? Yeah. I feel like it's yeah. just coming up through the woodworks, but it's not surprising at all. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Yeah, so there's a lot of hateful cowards out there and they're just getting mm-hmm. bolder by the day. So people have to stay vigilant and take it seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Emily, you want to break into our national news story? I certainly will. Yes. <laughs> it's a big segment just filled with my voice. Um, but yeah, so My national news story comes from an October 6th New York Times article by Cecilia King and David McCabe titled House Lawmakers Condemn Big Tech's Monopoly Power and Urge Their Breakups. Quote, House lawmakers who spent the last 16 months investigating the practices of the world's largest technology companies said on Tuesday that Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google had exercised and abused their monopoly power and called for the most sweeping changes to antitrust laws in half a century. Led by Democrats, the House Judiciary Committee released a 449-page report after more than a year of investigating, including a hearing featuring testimony from Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, Tim Cook of Apple, and Sundar Pinchai of Google. The report categorized the four tech giants as former, quote, scrappy startups that had become, quote, the kinds of monopolies we last saw in the era of oil barons and railroad tycoons. Uh, The four companies are worth over $5 trillion combined, which is 
it's a number that big is actually really hard to comprehend. Um, but maybe we'll revisit that when we start discussing the story. Um, so according to the report, the company's controlled pricing of goods and services as well as distribution. Quote, that made third-party businesses like app developers on Apple's App Store and sellers on Amazon's Marketplace beholden to the company's demands. The report states, quote, this pattern of behavior raises questions about whether these firms view themselves as above the law or whether they simply treat lawbreaking as a cost of business. Jerry, uh, Gerald Nadler from New York, the chairman of the committee, and David Cicilline um, of Rhode Island issued the following joint statement. Our investigation leaves no doubt that there is a clear and compelling need for Congress and the antitrust enforcement agencies to take action that restores competition, improves innovation, and safeguards our democracy. The report uses the word monopoly over 100 times. Uh, Representative uh, Pramila Jayapal, who is a Democrat in Washington, said, with no restrictions of tech companies to own and compete on their own platforms, uh, which are the only options for so many small businesses, it takes away any real sense of competition. House Democrats are recommending changes like, quote, making it illegal for the tech giants to provide preferential treatment to their own products, as Google does in search results. They suggested breaking up the companies into structural separations and forbidding them from operating in similar businesses to those they were already dominant in. They also recommended adding to antitrust laws, including clearer rules that could block the tech giants' attempts to buy other companies. While some Republicans agreed with the need for better antitrust enforcement, they hate the idea of intervening in a business in a major structural way. And then some even said that the fact that the report didn't address anti-conservative bias on the platforms means that the whole thing should be discredited, um, which is so political. It's annoying. But anyway, um, and obviously each of the four big companies totally disagree with the report. Google says it invests billions in R&D and also provides a bunch of free products. Amazon claimed that forcing it to break up would break up would, quote, deprive small these small businesses of one of the fastest and most profitable ways available to reach customers. Uh, Apple, quote, vehemently disagrees, uh, and they argued that the App Store has led to new markets and products, and Facebook asserted that somehow it was not, in fact, anti-competitive that it had merged with Instagram and WhatsApp. And then for me personally, um, I've thought all of these companies were too big to like not be evil for a while. And I hate how easy they are to use and how dominant they are in society. Um, yeah, it's just all four of those companies are so interweaved into so many of our daily lives. Um, you know, and I, I'll joke with my roommate, oh, like Google's the devil, but like I need Google Maps because it's just so built into the way we do things. So I think, um, you know, a breakup of these businesses would probably not be a bad thing. So what do you guys think? I always think the big yeah. companies are the devil. So I'm with you on that. However, I don't know if I could like live without it. It reminds me of those political cartoons that you would see in your textbook back in the day. Well, we all have different textbooks, mm -hmm. but where they show the monopoly and it's like a damn octopus where its hands are yep. in everything. And I, I think that that's a really yep. apt um, analogy because these things like that's the whole point is like what you're saying you don't like it but 
because they're so dominant on the market and they crush everything that isn't them, it creates the situation mm-hmm. where you feel like you almost don't have a choice, you know, to pick something else that you think is doing business in a way that's a little bit more ethical or something. It, it's scary. Totally. I remember when um, the earlier this year during Black Lives Matter, um, when everybody was, you know, talking about supporting black businesses and kind of encouraging everybody to try to spend their money within communities of color, as opposed to these larger organizations. Um, And it was definitely hard. There was like a blackout 2020 day that happened in July, I think, where they were trying to get, um, you know, millions of people to not shop in the big businesses for, you know, a couple of days or a couple, you know, and then they tried to extend it for a week. But I must say that it was quite overwhelming when you go to try to look for, you know, these smaller places. And it's it's such a hassle, you know, unfortunately, like I feel like they've dominated even people who would like to be in a more independent sector. They kind of, you kind of just end up going that route because you know, you're going to have bigger distribution. So it kind of even discourages those who would like to um, represent their businesses in that way. Absolutely. And I also, what I've been thinking about recently is I remember when Amazon came on the scene and they were just booksellers and a lot of brick and mortar bookstores went out of business um, because they couldn't compete with Amazon. And then, and now Amazon's like doing this weird like thing where they're creating like brick and mortar stores where it's like, they drove out all their competition and now it's like a novelty to have like a real store to go to. And that might've been, I guess, pre pandemic because they've certainly thrived in a pandemic environment. Um, But yeah, just the crushing of competition. It's overwhelming. And then there's like the, the branding too, that happens where like, you know, um, Google try, or what is it called? It's like, was it late stage capitalism or something? I don't really, I'm not an expert on that by any means, but called hell emily we're in hell (laughs) we're in the bad place i know all the way down there all the way down there (laughs) the the darkest timeline um where it's like you know trying to brand themselves as socially conscious with google doodles and stuff like that but it's like there's so much going on behind the scenes where they're just making money and so much money and you know all the cookies and stuff like they know what you're looking at and they're advertising to you based on those things across platforms too and they're racist as hell like they lot they're in bed with all types of corrupt political decisions i just saw very recently that um, facebook is gonna shut down QAnon stuff or they're trying to shut that down it's like well yeah at this point when it's been years of the shit running rampant and people are now like in these theories have now poisoned people that are working in the government now you're making a decision to take some kind of decisive action. Like these these tech companies, they really, they're extremely evil, you know? So I'm glad that there's at least like some pushback happening, but I just, time is going to tell like how successful it is. But I th- I do think now there are more people that are waking up to like the nefarious side of these things. I think there's been a lot of propaganda around like all oh, these tech people like they're gonna solve all the world's problems and there's almost like this worship of them and their quote-unquote innovation 
but I think they've been around long enough now where I think more and more people are kind of opening their eyes to the dark side of what these corporations are doing and what they have done. And the way that they have transformed society and but think it's like in a they they they're in this bubble where they think they're like you know improving the way we live and stuff but um i've i so rebecca solnit who wrote men explain things to me um she i saw her give a book talk how, how many years ago like 5 or 6 years ago at this point um for she did these series of atlases based on of all a bunch of different cities and they're really really cool and she she got into the whole tech thing and she talked about she's not a fan um about of silicon valley and she talked about how where there's these small group of mostly white men um sort of especially with things like google maps because it was about atlases have now dic- now dictate for us how we get from one place to another like back in the day before google maps you had a map or an atlas or you would have to ask people on the street for directions and there was just so many there were so many different ways to get from one place to another and those things have sort of shrunk cuz we'll just look at we'll ask google maps and google maps will tell us you do this and then you do this and you do this very very specifically and while it solves some problems for us right like um avoiding traffic or we got lost how do we fix this um it's also in a lot of ways shrunk our world as individuals and i think that's just an example of of Google Maps that it was a really cool lecture. <laughs> no, cool I can lady. see I can see what you mean by that though. Like it, you know, at, at one point it seemed like I was thinking about this while I was away, how the last time I really was able to travel and kind of like not use my phone, I couldn't even remember it. Like I couldn't even remember what life was like before all of these things. Um, and so it just kind of really does sort of make us feel very small when we are being kind of controlled, if you will, and nestled by these larger corporations. It's almost like we can't even think for ourselves to be able to be in a space to be self-producers or, you know, um, that's an interesting concept. I would love to come back to that. Yeah, that you mentioned men explain things to me. There's this other book that I recommend it to anyone. It's called uh, Weapons of Math Destruction. How Big Data Increases Inequality and Threatens Democracy by Kathy O'Neill. Um, I think that you can get it at a library. Like it's a, it's available and it's a very quick read. It's available in a lot of different outlets. But it, it, the author, she really breaks down how all of these things and big tech is, uh, like the main culprit of it. It's of, um, like the myth of something being objective and being neutral because it's connected to numbers and data, but the people that are making the technology are humans. So all of their biases, all of their racism, misogyny, whatever, like that's going to go into the products that they create and the way that things are marketed. But because it has this veneer of being some objective measure, people don't question it. And these giant companies like Facebook, Google, et cetera, like they are definitely, you know, big culprits when it comes to that. I want to check that out. Uh, Weapons of mass destruction. That sounds familiar. Like I might have read an article from it. It's it's a a yellow. It's a bright yellow book. Weapons of mass destruction. M-A-T-H. Okay. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. 
All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that story, Emily. I think that's a really cool concept and um, definitely something for us to keep our minds wrapped around, right? Because if you don't think about it, you kind of just got swarmed up <laughs> within it. Absolutely. And, uh, and also during election season too, with all the paid advertising that you're going to see on certain platforms too, specifically Facebook, I guess. Um, it's a bit topical. I, I mean, it's very topical. It's very of the season but yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely it's spooky season i'm gonna rewatch the social network as a horror film because that's what it is (laughs) it's a villain origin story of one mike whatever his name is mark zuckerberg zuckerberg exactly all righty so let's take our next musical break uh this track is called lockdown and it's from anderson pack featuring Jid, no name, and J Rock. We'll be right back. You should have been downtown. The people are rising. We thought it was a lockdown. They opened the fire. Them bullets was flying. Who said it was a lockdown? Goddamn lie. Uh, look, it's a war going on outside. I swear to God. I'm on the front line. No front, no cap, no front size. Sunshine, cinnamon skin. People blend in together and ride side by side. Organize. We bust guns at the same time. Harmonize. Form a line. Pick a lead. Take a leap. Lead with love. Please. You sound like Dr. King. People tired of taking beatings from beasts covered in sheets. I love niggas, but we too forgiving for how they treating us. Reparation, bit. We trying to get even. Just run the paper. Maybe then we can start the conversation. Coming ground. Prison compounds full of my fucking people. How you still sleeping? Have you had your coffee this evening, Karen? Could you seem a little off? All the black girls missing and ending up inside the coffins. But you mad when they hashtag Black Lives Matters on front your sidewalk. Diabolical thoughts, diatribe from dialogues, damaging images of men and women who died off fighting for civil rights. A simple necessity given when you're giving life. But we've been tripping. Right. You should have been downtown. The people are rising. We thought it was a lockdown. They opened the fire. The bullets was flying. Who said it was a lockdown? Goddamn lies. Doing downtown where I got popped with the rubber bullet train. Maybe this round two. Government cinematic American drive through, eat the apple pie in the morning and bury the strange fruit, then marry the strange fruit and call it the black love. So when he bleeds, I bleed the sacred riddle. Ain't no money I can make to make the cops get little. We seen a murder, the indigenous, a passage middle, the constitution, a life for a bag of Skittles. So when we bleed, I load the sacred pistol. And if you need, I'll read a soda with you. And if you rich, I pray that God forgive you. Supposed to share the garden, grow the holy in you. Maybe everything is a metaphor. One God, an African liberation is ready to take arms. They're telling you stay calm. They double barrel the shoddy and stand on a graveyard and tell you to slave on. Downtown, the people are rising. We thought it was a lockdown. They opened the fire. Them bullets were flying. Who said it was a lockdown? Goddamn lie. Turn on your tube, dog. Look how they do us. Knee on our necks, bullets and backs. Stimulus checks, strictly for blacks. History repeating, people scared to eat a chicken. Everybody going vegan, what they put in it. Look at the world we living in, they got a shook in it. You go on your jog, then your color might get you took in it. Man in the mirror, don't look away, you better look at it. Black lives matter, so what it means when they shoot at it. Generation genocide, what happened to enterprise? Let the man infiltrated, Black Panther re energized. Nothing to figure out, they trying to kill us out. If I take a nil, see my fists, I'm a killer now. Just think. 
ain't bullshit, you gotta filter out. Are you really ready for the smoke like a switcher house? Ready for the revolution, who ready to ride? It won't be televised, so tell me who ready to die? Know the difference from a pan and a pandemic. Just a bunch of bullshit, how we land in it? You either fall for anything or you stand in it. It's a lot going on on this damn mission. Big BG used to sell microchips. Now he out here pushing vaccines. It's about to be another lockdown. Feeling like DC. Fuck you, man. The people are rising. We thought it was a lockdown. They opened the fire. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we're going to jump right back into our news story. Uh, this is a world news story that is coming from Berlin. And information from the story was drawn from CNN uh, and the New York Times. So more than 1,500 officers were used to evict about 50 residents at the Liebig 34 home, which is in uh, Berlin, um, just on Friday. They are a radical left alternative anarchist queer feminist community who have occupied this building since 1999. The owner of the building decided not to renew the lease two years ago and sued the occupants when they refused to leave. Police began enforcing the eviction early, early the eviction order early on Friday, and a few hundred people held a protest as officers removed the residents from the four-story building one at a time. Uh, Liebig 34 is a feminist, ref, feminist refugee community and has been a symbol of resistance and is also one of the last resisting symbols of the leftist scene in the German capital. The building is covered in flags and leftist graffiti. It offered a place for refuge for women, trans, and intersex people since 1999. An autonomously run bar and cultural center allowed the occupants to raise funds to cover the rent. The residents of Liebig 34 said the police stopped their lawyer from entering the house and therefore the eviction is still illegal. However, the Berlin police announced on Twitter Friday morning that the resident has been cleared and they moved all 57 people out of the building. Um, so I thought this story was interesting just because, um, you know, we don't hear about these sort of leftist communities that exist, you know, um, underneath the veil. This group obviously was a refuge to a lot of different types of women. Um, later reports say that they changed the name in their community to be a non-cis men community. I think that was one of the last descriptions that I read. But it was definitely a refuge for people who were discovering their sexuality and also, um, you know, just really finding themselves and feeling safe, not feeling like they needed to succumb to the regular ways of the world. So the eviction is quite um, interesting considering the times of COVID. You know, these people have occupied this building for over almost 20 years and they're being evicted one by one right now to be left on the streets. Who knows if they know anywhere to go, where where they will go at this point. Are you guys familiar with the Liebig 34? No, I have I have not heard of them before this, but that's horrible. It's it's such a reminder of how violent evictions are. Like you're really you're sending armed officers into a space to force people out of their homes. It's not it's not a peaceful or neutral thing at all. I mean, it's not even like they were doing anything, you know, in the articles that I read too, um, besides, of course, staying in two years past the eviction, but it wasn't like they were doing anything, you know, to directly 
be charged with or breaking any laws. They were pretty much like a safe haven community for people. And then, you know, the interesting part is that that local bar, they had a whole fundraiser to pay the rent. So I'm just wondering exactly why they were thrown out of this um, space. But um, I guess there's more to come on this story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't heard of them either. Um, and maybe that's, I don't know, because we're not plugged into, or I guess there's not a lot of news, I guess, in the U.S. that's easy to find about groups like this in other countries. Um, that's really, it's yeah, it's it's really upsetting in a lot of ways, including the fact that just housing is a human right, you know, everywhere in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the fact that these people have occupied this building for over 20 years, um, right. it's almost like a staple of the community that, you know, one of the last standing pieces of, of that era of time, you know, um, right. definitely something to remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be, I'm definitely not an expert, but I just, with the rise of so many right-wing fascists, groups i would not be at all surprised if there was like some sort of misogynist like anti-left motivation behind you know not wanting to renew their lease or all of a sudden it's a priority now to get these particular people out you know like whether it's in germany or what we see here it's always specific communities that are they bear the brunt of being targeted and being pushed out in this way yeah, I mean, as we see patriarchal patriarchy fall, you know, all over the world, I think it's very interesting that these smaller pockets of people who have managed to exist outside of the norms are being disrupted, um, really just for statement purposes, you know, just just to make a statement, not even to um, to do anything other than that. So, just really unfortunate, but um, I think it's really actually very interesting that they've been able to maintain this safe space space safe space for people for so long um and house and 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 protect many people so all right so we're gonna take a turn and emily you got a good news story for us this week i do um i yeah here it is <laughs> i'm gonna dive right in so this story comes from a combination of a september 15th ap article by Dalton Walker of the of Indian Country Today. And that article is titled Friendship Between Ireland Tribes Lives On in Lacrosse. Ireland and Tribes is but there's a comma there, it doesn't translate audio though. Um and then also I got information from an October first NPR report for Morning Edition by Bo Hamby titled Ireland Lacrosse Bows Out of 2022 World Games so Iroquois Nationals can play. So a little bit of background info. Uh, the Iroquois Nationals are the lacrosse team that represents the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Um, and, quote, a confederacy, uh, it, it is, quote, a confederacy of six First Nations, Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarora. Uh, end quote. That's from the AP. Um, according to the Haudenosaunee Confederacy website, they were, quote, called the Iroquois Confederacy by the French and the League of Five Nations by the English. But the Confederacy is properly called the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, meaning people of the longhouse. The Haudenosaunee invented lacrosse and call it medicine game. 
Uh, so the AP article explains, quote, the Ireland lacrosse team recently bowed out of the sport's top international tournament to open up a spot for the Iroquois Nationals. Organizers of the 2022 World Games in Birmingham, Alabama, left out the Nationals because they, quote, didn't recognize them as representing a sovereign nation. Um, this despite the team being number three in the world and the players having their own passports, as the NPR piece points out. Uh, from the AP article, quote, officials changed the requirements following pressure from lacrosse programs and other organizations, heat on social media, and on, on and an online petition that garnered more than 50,000 signatures. Unfortunately, however, by the time this happened, the eight-team roster had already been filled. Uh, quote, Ireland lacrosse CEO Michael Kennedy previously told Lax Sports Network that since his team was the last to qualify based on 2019 rankings, he knew world lacrosse would reach out. I said, look, guys, I'm going to make this very easy. We want the Iroquois to take up the position, which is rightfully theirs, Kennedy said. Lyle Thompson, an Iroquois Nationals player, told NPR. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. And the Michael Kennedy quote is from the AP article. And this Lyle Thompson quote is from NPR. A sense of me felt bad because they're sort of sacrificing and giving up their opportunity. But a part of me felt like this is the right move. And I do truly believe that. And as the AP article points out, and as listeners may remember, us reporting on back in May, uh, this is another gesture of friendship in the nearly 175-year history between the Irish and U.S. tribes. In 1847, the Choctaw Nation sent today's equivalent of about $5,000 to Ireland during the potato famine, less than 20 years after the Trail of Tears. And earlier this year, quote, hundreds of Irish donated to a fundraising campaign to help Navajo and Hopi families with supplies during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and that's from the AP. So that's my good news story. Um, it's it's nice to see um, people doing what's right or, you know, and it, this is sort of starts in a fucked up place with the the Iroquois Nationals team not being recognized, but um, it's good to see a lot of people putting the effort in to make that right, including a bunch of players, you know, giving up their spots. Um, and it also shows that making a stink about stuff does make a difference. You know, the, the organizers felt the pressure that people were putting on them. So. I love that story, actually. I think it's definitely a turn um for the better. I mean, it's, you know, we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, different things on this show and how, you know, people are so late to the fucking party. But the reality is that these sort of smaller uh, groups of people acknowledging what inclusion really looks like and the steps that need to be taken for that to happen, that's progress. You know, it's one thing to have um, a rainbow coalition, if you will, which has been what has served, right, as this sort of pseudo- method of inclusion in the past but inclusion really is making space for other people to move up be recognized be acknowledged and participate and it's not just saying that we should do it but it's actually you know making sacrifices to have it happen and i think that's awesome that we see a team of such legacy taking that move and making that sort of statement with how their actions are moving forward yeah absolutely you got to put actions behind your words and actually be willing to give something up. So it's good to see that happening, even if it is in the sports world, it can happen in other parts of life as well. A lot of ways I think the sports world 
has trouble making changes, right? Like the the Washington football team had a slur as their name until this year. Um the straight up slur. So I think yeah, I think I think it's it there it's more I think it has meaning for the outside world in an important way for things like that to happen cuz the sports world is very masculine and has a lot of um trouble breaking down those sorts of walls, you know. But yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. That was a great story and a great show, ladies. Enjoyed it this week. As as always. So that's it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, on Spotify, or anywhere you can find iTunes podcasts. Uh, listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. And I think Jasmine is going to take us out with our final track of the day. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, October 6th, we lost a musical legend. Eddie Van Halen passed away at the age, the young age of 65. Um, he was a founding member along with his brother of the band Van Halen. Um, and he was also speaking of breaking barriers. He was also biracial. A lot of people don't know. He was um, born in the Netherlands to a white father and an Indo um, Eurasian mother. So um, the song that I'd like to put out there for you all is Jump by Van Halen. It always puts me in a good mood and I hope it does the same for you. So rest in peace, Eddie, and have a good week. Awesome. Bye.